Welcome back, guys. Today is, of course, our very special uh, long weekend holiday uh, special uh, program for you. Double doses of Encounter with God. Um, so, yeah, make sure that uh, you're tuning in wherever you are, may be. It's always a pleasure to have your company, and we encourage you to always get into the Word. Uh, this morning, we are looking into history, taking a look back at a, a little bit of something we looked at in April, early April. Um, so I hope you can all get ready for that. We're opening, we're starting with Second Kings. Um, but before we get there, we do have, of course, one of my favorite things in the whole world that I always love, and that is a good old jingle. So here we go. Jingle, jingle. Liam. Yes. Second Kings. Second Kings, chapter 22, verse 3. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1. All right, then. Okay. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adaiah. Is that right? Uh-huh. Oh, good. The daughter of Adaiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Okay, so let's cover a little bit of historical background because you know me. I love to cover some historical background. The nation of Judah, this tiny micronation of Judah, has just come out of uh, 57 years of brutal oppression by their ruling kings. That began with the 55-year-long reign of Manasseh, who really modelled his kingdom on the Assyrian Empire, which was the dominant empire in the world at that particular time. And, of course, we've talked about this before, but the Assyrians dominated the world through basically two things. One, they had a professional standing army, which nobody else did. Everybody else used just to call everybody who was of military age, let's come and fight, let's all get together and, and, yep. and fight. And you bring your farming implements and you bring a cow as well so that you get to eat something and you go to war, mm. whereas the Assyrians had a professional army. They had you know, all the different divisions in the army. They had ranks in the army. They had... Um, you know, they had engineers, they had specialists in the army, engineers, they had specialists who were, would build things, they had specialists in supply. So that was one of the ways that the Assyrians ruled the world. But it went much further than that because these guys were true terrorists. This was state-sponsored terrorism on an international scale. Quite a big impact. Massive impact. The world had never seen anything like it before and probably hasn't seen anything like it since. Mm. Not only were they terrorists and not only would they commit genocide and, and war crimes on a scale that we can't even begin to imagine today. You know, these guys would make Hitler look like a saint. Mm. Uh, any of our modern bad guys, they'd make, make look like a saint. They wouldn't go and hide from us like, oh, no, I'm going to escape you know, the uh, war crimes tribunal. They would publish it. Yeah. And they would put billboards all across the empire. This is what we're show, doing. This, this is, is what how we're doing. We're do it. Exactly. This is what we did to this city. You know, we, we 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 cut off all these people's hands, and we cut off their genitals, and we put their genitals in their mouth, and we, and we, you know, build a pile of uh, a pyramid of heads that was, you know, as tall as the city walls, and we, you know, and we cut off their feet, and 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 we impaled. You know, it just goes on and on and on. How they would brag about the atrocities that they were committing, and it was basically a way of ruling the world through sheer terror. Yeah. What you've got is that the Assyrians invade the nation of Judah uh, just previous to this when Hezekiah is on the throne. Yes. They're defeated there 
by the angel of the Lord. Yeah. And, of course, the Assyrians go back, they brag about how they went down to to the land of Judah and they took all of these cities in Judah and then they make this very, very insightful statement. Sennacherib makes this very insightful statement when he's bragging about his victories. He says, he says and, you know, I was so powerful, I was so strong that I, I shut up Hezekiah in his city like a, like a, like a bird in a cage. Yep. Which is the Assyrian way of admitting we got smashed at, at Jerusalem. Admitting defeat. Yeah, that's, yes. a, that's the closest thing you'll ever get in the ancient world to an admission of defeat. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you brag about how you actually won. Well, you didn't win. You uh, were absolutely destroyed in that particular conflict. Now, um, of course, Hezekiah dies and his son Manasseh comes to power. And Manasseh is like, okay, well, let's look around the empire. Let's look around the world and let's see who's successful right now. Oh, the Assyrians are successful, so let's run Judah like a mini Assyria. Mm. And that's what he did. The Bible said that says that he was the worst king who ever reigned, possibly the worst king who ever reigned in the history of the planet. Yep. He made the streets of Jerusalem run with innocent blood. Mm. Uh, this was a guy who put an Assyrian god in the temple of God. Yeah, right. You know, he was he was next level rebellion against God. He's like, okay, everything the Assyrians do, I'm going to do. You know what and I mean? Gonna, and, and, and of course, sorry, I butted in there, but hold that thought. I'm going to come back to it. Um, you often find this. It's called it's called the the, the little dog syndrome. Yeah, where the little dog feels like he has to bark louder and bite harder and fight harder because he's a little dog. Yeah, he makes up for his size by just going to extremes with everything, and this is what Hezekiah has done. He's made up for his size by going to it's like, well, if the Syrians go that far, I'm going to go way further and make up for it here in the city. Yeah, yeah. When um, usually when people go to meet the you know kings and queens, you you. Uh, Usually in, in modern times, you've got a lot of respect for them and you like you think yeah, they're, they're certain, high of honour. But A certain level of excitement as well. But I think if you were to go meet this king, you would be terrified. terrified. Oh, yeah. Have you, gonna- have you ever met a king? No. I, I can, I've met a king. You've met the king? Wait, met, which king not, did you meet? I um, meet, met the only king in Australia. Okay. Did you know that there's in, a king in Australia? The one in Western Australia? No, that's a prince okay. of the of the, 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 Hutt River, the Hutt Hutt River Province. But I've met a king, the king of Yarrabah. Do you know? Right. You, do, I've mentioned Yarrabah before. Yarrabah is an indigenous community uh, just where, uh, east of Cairns, where I come from. And yeah, when when Captain Cook, ca- and when I, I say Captain Cook, I mean when all the all the convicts came to Australia, they collected all of the. Um, all the they 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 saw these indigenous Australians as you know they were intimidated by them, and what they did is they collected them all and from all around the country and moved them to this uh, sort of area, this town, and it's well out of the way. You've got a at the moment they're in complete lockdown um, due to coronavirus, um, but yeah they've got a king named King uh, Vincent Jaban Schreiber, and yeah. He's, he's the king of Yarrabah. And when I met this king, the point I'm getting to, when I met this king, he's a very, he's not your typical king, but the fact that he was a king, you felt you were in the presence of, of someone, oh my gosh, this person, oh my goodness, sorry, this person is, he's, he, this is someone really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. I've, I've never met anybody who's royalty before. I've come close a couple of times. 
You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Standing, standing on a street corner one time and uh, Queen Elizabeth pulled up in the car just beside me. She was obviously riding in the back seat. She doesn't hasn't driven for herself in public that I know of yeah. since uh, she was a truck driver in the Second when? World War. Yeah. But Ambulance driver. The, I, I can just imagine. Like, that was for... That's, I can't imagine being terrified by a king. No, not in today's world because and kings that's the, are... That's what I was trying are, to get to with that. Kings and queens are basically tourist attractions today. Yeah. Yeah, um, they're a, a a relic from the past that we all love and respect. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's something that's carried through from medieval times, and and it's just a really I, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of. Uh, okay, so this is this is my personal opinion here right now. Huge supporter of the uh, of the of the royal family. I think they're just um, you know. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> All right, so we've got this king here. We're way, way off. How did we get so far off topic? Let's get back to our Bible the verse. King. Let's come to Josiah. So you had, you've had, uh, you've had Manasseh. He is just horrific. Yeah. You've had his son Am- Ammon, who comes to power, and he is right up there with his father. And they're looking for a break. You know, the people of Judah are looking for a break, and because they're looking for a break, and and, and Ammon is he's not going to give them this break. And so he gets murdered he, yep. two years into his reign. They're like, no, nah, execute this guy. And then, of course, all of the people of Judah, they rise up and they take out the conspirators. And once the conspirators are, are all destroyed from this particular assassination, they then put in Manasseh's grandson, a kid by the name of Josiah. He's eight years old. Yeah. How would you like to be ruler of a nation when you're eight years old? But this is a kid who's given his life to God, to the service of God. And so you're going to find a very different response that is going to happen as a result of this. When I was eight years old, I would not have been able to to be king. Rule a king. No. Rule a a nation. I was struggling to get a handle of my brothers, let alone a whole nation. Yes. And, of course, he would have had people who were assigned to be his guardians. Yeah. And as guardians, they would be de facto rulers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his place until he becomes of age. Anyway, uh, verse 3, let's start, continue on down through this passage. All right, verse 3, it says, In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Jaf- uh, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord. He told him, Go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust his entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the temple's restoration. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple of the Lord. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also have them buy the timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Okay, so an interesting story here, and the implication is that you know by the time he gets to eighteen, uh, he's no longer under the guidance, the rulership of his mentors. He is now starting to rule on his own, and he's starting to act by himself, make yep. his own decisions, be his own man, all of that kind of thing. And so he is engaging himself in the restoration of the temple. The temple has fallen into disrepair; nobody's interested in it. It's had an Assyrian god in it. Yep. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of been a source of wealth. Yeah. It's like, oh, we need some gold. Well, let's go and strip it out of the temple. Yeah. There's lots of it there. And so 
he is restoring this building. He is restoring the timber work. He is restoring the stonework. And things are heading in a good direction. Okay, while this is taking place, verse 8, please. Verse 8. There's, before, I go, before I go on, they mention a, a, a lot of names that are very hard to difficult to, uh, very oh, that's, difficult that's why, to that's say. That's why I gave you this passage. So <laughs> a, apologies for all the incorrect so pronunciations. Hilkiah. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's stop right there. I want you to think about this for a moment. So yeah. you've had 57 years yeah. of horrific kings. Mm. Uh, two kings during that time period, uh, Manasseh that rules for 55 of those years. Yes. During that time, the worship of God is basically forgotten. It's been handed down, hand, you know, from, uh, um, you know, orally so that Josiah still has some knowledge of the worship of God. Yeah. He knows that he should be worshiping God. And so because of that, he's restoring the temple of God. But it is absolutely mind boggling. To understand that no one had a Bible. Yeah. I mean, I want you to try and wrap your brain around that. This is a point in Earth's history when there was one copy. Yes. A single copy of the Bible. Mm. That's it. Nothing more. I don't think there's many things nowadays where there is one copy of it. Yeah, no, that's right. And everything's got backups, you know, backups of backups. And, and and obviously, I would say that there had been backups previous to this particular point, but at this particular point, there was no backup. Yeah. There is this one copy, and the copy has been lost. Yep. And so Josiah, in restoring the temple, is really, you know, he's stumbling along in the dark. He's going from the memories and the legends and the information that has been handed down to him orally on what should take place in the temple, how it should operate, what should happen there, you know, all of these kind of things. But he has no book to go by, no guidance in with, with which to do so. And imagine if this copy had been lost. Yeah. We would not have our Bibles today because, I mean, how thin of a thread, you know, is the knowledge of God being preserved by right here? Yeah. Now, of course, there's every possibility that, you know, this was a copy of the law that was written by Moses himself that they'd preserved all the way down and through until this time. We don't know. Yeah. But that possibility certainly exists. And maybe they had not made other copies of the originals that Moses had made. Once again, we don't know. No. But that's definitely a possibility, particularly in those days. And then, of course, you know, after this, you have your Babylonian captivity. When you come out of Babylonian captivity, you've got Ezra the scribe and, you know, he, he, he puts together, you know, compiles, um, you know, a lot of the canon of the Old Testament. And uh, and pulls that material together, but you know this is this is an astounding discovery, and so here you've got a king who is a follower of God. Imagine this being a follower of God, um, right the way through until you're 18 years old. You've never ever laid eyes on the Bible. There is a rumor that somewhere once there was a book that was the Bible that did exist, and suddenly it's found. Yeah. Imagine the value of that treasure. In fact. 
the most valuable treasure that there is in the world right now. You know what it is? What is it? It's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. They are the single most valuable treasure from antiquity that exists in our world. Where are they kept nowadays? In uh, Israel, in Jerusalem, in a museum called the Museum of the Book. There we go. And so if you ever want to go, go visit. And you can see a copy of it. Absolutely. You can't see the real thing. No. <laughs> but you can get copies of it. You can get your own little... Oh, I, absolutely. I had a pastor um, in Cairns who, who went over to... He did a, a Bible tour and he brought back with him the Dead Sea Scrolls. Not the real thing, but copies. And it, 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 even in the little jars that they had, he, he bought a, a, a copy of the little jar. Inside the jar, there were these little fake scrolls, and it was really cool, actually. So Yeah, and they're, they're kind of vaguely a facsimile. Gave a, a bit of an idea of, yeah. of what they looked like. Indeed. Okay, so if we continue on here, uh, where did we get up to? They find this They find this copy, the only copy that there is. And, of course, Shafan the scribe comes in and he starts reading it. And um, uh, Josiah, when he hears it, the Bible says that he tears his clothes. Now, yeah. that's something that's very, very unusual Doesn't happen for us. Often, no. It's not how... Western society responds to news. Yes. We don't tear our clothes. There's the old colloquialism, uh, tearing out your hair. Yeah. But we don't even do that. No. We just say it rather than actually doing it. We feel like doing it. Yeah. We don't do it. No. I could tear my hair out right now. No, we don't do that. But it's kind of similar in a way because here you've got, you know, Josiah, he reads this and he recognizes just how far from God they are. You know, he thought he was doing a great job restoring the temple, getting things back in order, but he had no idea how far from God uh, they had actually gone during this particular period and how far they had to come back. The other thing, of course, that he's learning as he's reading through this is that God had prophesied what would take place, what would actually happen if they left off from serving God. And here they've been 57 years since they last served God. This is uh, Back to the Bible. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to the truth. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to the truth. 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 Oh, if we walk in life. See us in the light and do our best from day to day. He will be faithful to forgive our sins and blessings will all flow our way. He has promised the crown of glory and on that promise I'll stand. Oh, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, He will forgive this wretched man. Let's get back. So just love the Lord, use your Bible as your sword, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you feel weak and tired on your feet, don't be afraid to ask Him for help. If you stumble, just kneel and be humble, forgiveness you ask when you pray. 
please don't strive Come with your life Christians are perfect, just say Oh, let's get back Back to the Bible Oh, let's get back Back to the truth Oh, let's get back Back to the Bible Oh, let's get back To the truth Let's get back to the truth. Oh, let's get back to the truth. Now, when you feel the need to plant the seed, share His word and do the rest. Harvest has come. He'll say, Well done forever. With Him we'll be blessed. In the clouds, He'll say, Out loud, come, my pilgrim, in a Fought the good fight and lived in the light Forevermore to live again oh, Let's get back, back to the Bible oh, Let's get back, back to the truth oh, Let's get back, back to the Bible oh, Let's get back, back to the truth to the truth. Oh, Let's get back, back to the Bible oh, Let's get back, back to the truth Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. Oh, let's get 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 back to the truth. Talking about getting back to the Bible, let's get back to our quiz, which is a Bible quiz. Let's see if you can answer this clue. What have you got, uh, Liam, for the next clue on our quiz? Where did our quiz go? Someone's stolen our quiz sheet. Oh, yeah, it's up here. I'll put it up, I'll put it up, up to producer Shell to, to see the answer. All right, so clue number four. Elizabeth said to me, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. That's a big clue. That's a big clue. Okay, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669 if you know the answer. Make sure you save those numbers in your phone. 1-800-FAITH-FM. So that's 324-843. And that way you'll be able to participate in the quiz on a regular basis. Indeed. Don't forget that this Saturday morning we have small group interactive Bible study class right here on Faith FM between 9.30 and 10.30. Matt Parra and myself will be presenting that. And that's going to be just a great opportunity to uh, dig into the Bible, study together and interact in a way that will be somewhat similar to the way that you're able to do it um, at church, which is going to do it over the air, because that's the way we do it these days. Yeah. Okay, so Liam, what have we got uh, uh, for our next part of this story? Where are we up to? What verse did we get up to? We just finished verse 11. So I'll read verse 11 again and keep on going from there. Okay, so... When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Okbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the, the court secretary, and Azariah, the king's personal advisor. So this is what the king said to all of these men. The, go to the temple and speak 
to the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbar, Shafam, and Asaiah went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Hahas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord, your, the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I am going to bring to this city. So they took her message back to the king. Okay, so here you've got this interesting story where, you know, God has obviously said, look, if you turn away from me, this is the consequences of turning away from serving me. Um, and, you know, consequences for our actions never change. Whatever we do, you know, the Bible says what you, see, what you, what you sow is what you will reap. Yep. And when we turn away from God, there are, you know, things that are just, you know, God is there to protect us, to look after us and so forth, but we say, God, we don't want to have anything to do with you, then God's hands are tied and we're at the mercy of Satan. Yeah. And really this is what is taking place here in many ways where God is saying, look, um, you guys have turned away from me and because of that, you know, you are now at the mercy of Satan and because you are at the mercy of Satan, then bad things are going to come. And this is what's written in the Bible. And of course, when they read this, they're like, "Wow, this is this is this is really hectic stuff." Yeah. Um, there's and there's some pretty strong things, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, that describe what will happen when people turn away from God. And so, you know, Josiah's read this. He's recognized that there is disaster coming. He goes to the prophet and is like, well, what's the, what's the story right here? And the prophet's like, yep, that's absolutely what the Bible says. And that's actually exactly what's going to happen to this place. But because of your faithfulness, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. Now, what we're particularly looking at here today is the power, the transforming power of God's word. And in many ways, to really understand the transforming power of God's word in this particular passage, we need to continue reading. Um, and I don't know that we've got time to really get into all of the details. But when Josiah reads the Bible, or the Bible is read to Josiah because uh, it was rare in those days for a king to be biblically literate, tearing his clothes and going to the prophetess yes. is not all that he does. No. 
even when he gets a message back from the prophetess that says, look, it's not going to happen in your time, he's like, he's, he's not in a situation where he goes, like, oh, that's great, yeah, it's not going to happen in my time, so I can sit back, relax, um, enjoy a good party, enjoy a great kingship, and uh, move on from here. No, he continues the rebuilding of the temple, and he reinstitutes the services of the temple, and in doing so, uh, they gather together people from all across the land of Judah. They have, you know, the greatest. Um, they have the the, the greatest uh, Passover feast that they have had, you know, since the history of like you know King Solomon or King David. You know, going right the way back. Not only do they have this for the nation of Judah, but they also invite the nation of Israel. Yeah. Now, this is very significant, very, very interesting, because most of Israel, of course, is in captivity, but there are some left. And most of Israel, which has been in idolatry since its very inception, Mm. the northern nation of Israel never, ever served God. Yeah. But there always was people in the northern nation of Israel who would serve God. Yeah. And they would go to the nation of Judah to go to the temple and to worship there. Yep. And so, uh, as a result of that, there were still some people they found up in the north mm. who still wanted to serve God, and they have this great Passover ceremony, and it's just amazing, um, and they enjoy it so much. They're like, "Yeah, let's do this for another. We have let's do this for a week. Let's do it for another week." It's like they get together for camp meeting for the first time in you know, in, in, in uh, well, Josiah's what now, twenty five years old. So twenty five plus fifty seven come on quick maths what does that add up to um seventy a lot of years sounds about right yeah something like that <laughs> I'm useless at math but a lot of years since they have had a passover in fact this would be most likely the only passover that these people have ever experienced. There is extremely unlikely that somebody went to a Passover under Hezekiah and lived all the way through to go to one under Jeremiah. Not Jeremiah, um, Josiah. Yeah. Uh, It's possible in today's day and age that something like that could happen. Uh, But back then when the average lifespan, people died mid-40s. It was possible even back then. You do have some long, long lifespans. But this transforms not just Hezekiah. It completely transforms the nation. And that is the power of God's word. The power of reading God's word is that it transforms people's lives. And, you know, we heard a great testimony with Caitlin here earlier. We all have a testimony that we can share of the transforming power of God's life in us. This is uh, actually the Passover song, Carolyn Cobb.
Of the daytime before we do quick reminder that uh, this Saturday morning, 9.30, 10.30, small group interactive Bible study right here on Faith FM. If you're on the delayed broadcast, make sure you get the app so that you can be a part of that particular program. That's Faith FM Australia app. Question of the day, what do you got for us? Question of the day, what does the Bible say about organ donations or, or donating organs or blood such as yeah, blood transfusion, like, yeah. blood, blood yeah. transfusions, and organ donations. That whole uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not practice this. No, um, everybody else does, and this is something that's sort of a little bit interesting to me because the passage of scripture that is used to state that we should not uh, donate blood or organs is Leviticus chapter three and verse seventeen, where it says, "It shall be a perpetual statute." For your generations throughout all of your living places that you eat neither fat nor blood. That's what the Bible says. And so some people have read that and they've gone, okay, that means that we cannot donate blood because the Bible says that you cannot eat blood. Yes. That's a stretch. Yes. 
And with uh, utmost respect, let me say this to my Jehovah's Witness friends, the Bible is speaking about eating, not Literally donating. Literally eating. Now, when you, when you eat mouth. something, of course, the Bible is speaking about something that goes in through your mouth, into your di- digestive system, and uh, then out through the other direction. The uh, That's a very, very different process to injecting something into your veins. Yes. In fact, organ donation and blood transfusions were not something that existed in biblical times. And so for that reason, God does not address those particular issues. But yes. we have to look at the underlying reason as to why did God say don't eat blood yeah. and don't eat fat. My big question is, and maybe somebody who is a Jehovah's Witness can give me a call and answer me this question, um, on one eight hundred three two four eight four three is why obey Leviticus three seventeen and not do blood transfusions, but disobey Levi- Leviticus chapter eleven where the Bible says you can't eat dead pigs. Yeah, that's a question that I've sort of got in my mind. Never had the opportunity to ask it. Maybe somebody can answer that one for me. However, why did God say don't eat blood? And don't eat fat. The answer is very, very simple. When you well, we know why why God said don't eat fat because it's not good for you. Yeah, that's right. You eat fat, you're going to get fat. Your arteries are going to clog, and you're going to die. Um, and of course, blood is where the disease is. If you get a disease, of course, they're going to take a blood test and look for that disease. They're going yes. to look for it in your blood because that's where the disease is. And so, yeah. basically, the Bible saying, when you butcher an animal, drain out the blood because that's where the disease is. Drain out the fat because that won't be any good for you. And you can eat what's rest. This is this is all about living longer and having better health. Yeah. Now, if you need a blood transfusion, the principle that the Bible gives is living longer and having good health. So you need to have that blood transfusion. Yeah. If you need an organ donation, it's exactly the same thing. In fact, as uh, Liam pointed out during the break, the very first organ donation ever performed was performed by God himself. You find that in Genesis chapter 2, where he took a rib and he made... Eve from the rib out of uh, Adam. Yeah, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Okay, so the Bible here doesn't really address organ donation or blood transfusion in the modern sense as we understand it today. Uh, But the principle here is the principle of good health, and the purpose for good health is length and quality of life. And using what someone else's someone else has yes. produced f- to create life or extend life for another being. Okay, so I believe that we all have a moral obligation here in Australia to opt in to the organ donation uh, program or be a blood donor like Liam is on regular occasions and let's participate in that. However, I do need to say this. There is an organ uh, um, replacement program that we must all be a part of Every single one of us needs to receive an organ donation, and that is we need to have a change of heart. Indeed. We need to receive the heart of Jesus Christ. We need to receive a new heart and become like Jesus. Let's all receive that organ donation today. Lord, I want to be more like you. I go throughout this life, but sometimes inside of me there seems to be such strife. I have a heart that's often hard and often can be right. 
away from you a new heart you promised from above the only thing i have to give is a sin polluted heart i don't deserve the mercy cross at Calvary the sacrifice you made was out of love you have for me Lord give me a new heart a heart just like you have teach me to walk with you Question of the day that has come through. What is that question? Question of the day. All right. So, what is your opinion or what is the the Adventist belief about the death penalty or corporal punishment? Okay. 
My opinion is irrelevant. Yep. The Adventist belief is irrelevant. Or the what does the Bible say about corporal exactly. punishment? Exactly. The Bible is the, Bible the only thing that is relevant punishment? in this particular case. Um, and in all cases, the Bible is the only thing that is relevant. So let's have what the Bible says. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Yes. Plain and simple. Yes. End of story. Yes. We don't need to go further than that. We touched on this yesterday with euthanasia. We did touch on it yesterday with euthanasia. But this is a bit, of, a bit different. But this is different. And the reason that it's different is because the death penalty existed in ancient Israel. Yeah. So how can you have thou shalt not kill and a death penalty operating at the same time? A lot of people ask that question. They say, well, the Bible contradicts itself right here. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible in absolutely no way, shape or form contradicts itself on this particular point. It, it mentions that it happened. Yes. But it- and God commanded it to happen. It was part of the laws of the theocracy of ancient Israel was the death penalty. Yes. Okay, so how do you actually, how do you actually justify these two? Okay, it's very simple. Um, you've got to look at the form of government. The form of government in ancient Israel, beginning in the time of Moses and extending through until the Babylonian captivity was a theocracy. Yep. Yep. And a theocracy is the only form of government where you can have a death penalty. And basically it works like this. As human beings, we never have the right to take another person's life because when you take another person's life, you close their probation. Now, that's a big theological term that simply means you close off their opportunity of ever being saved. Um, you, you've, you've shut that for them. Now, if, if they're lost, of course. And so we don't have that right because we can't read a person's heart, we can't read their mind to understand, you know, whether it's appropriate for their probation to close this particular point or not. So a human being can never take another human being's life because that is the result of what will happen. However, God can take another person's life because God can read our heart and God can decide whether a person has... Uh, you know, committed the unpardonable sin or whether not. Whether they're guilty or not guilty. That, that's right. God can read a person's heart and see whether they are eternally lost and is able to take their life or not. Mm. Now, God in the Bible has a long record of you know taking people's lives in many different ways. You've got the story of um, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram where God causes the ground to open up and swallow them. Mm. He uses an earthquake in that case. Uh, you've got the story of uh, Elijah who's sitting on a mountaintop and 150 men come to arrest him and God pours down fire on them. Yes. So there are a number of different ways that God uses to take other people's lives. Another example would be where God sends Saul to go and to wipe out the Amalekites, the mm. Amalekite genocide. And once again, it is God doing this, but God is working through humans. Yes. But it is God's choice, it is God's call, it is God's decision. And under a theocracy, this is why you can have a death penalty, because under a theocracy you can have a situation where no mistake is ever made, either in relationship to a person's guilt or in a relationship to whether they will be saved or lost by taking their life. Yeah. So a theocracy can have a death penalty. It is the only form of government that can have a death penalty. Outside of the theocracy, there is no opportunity for a death penalty. And so we don't live under a theocracy. We live under a democracy. Yes. We have a secular government, which is separated from the church, and under a democracy. And, you know, the other go- there's, there's no theocracy that exists in our world right now. Yeah. hasn't existed since the Babylonian invasion. And so um, death penalties are not the way to go. 
Well, unfortunately, everybody, that brings us to the end of our program today. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, now, j- just so you know, we are going to be back to, to normal tomorrow, so don't worry about that. Tomorrow, it is back to the live breakfast show right here on Faith FM, so make sure that you come back for a new week, a brand new week, brand new show, and we'll be having a great time. We hope you have all had a very safe, long weekend, and we hope that the rest of your Monday morning and most of your Monday is uh, one to remember. Have a wonderful time. And as you go through your day, please do not forget to remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will go strong in Jesus Christ. Stay safe, everyone. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By His counsel's guide of Sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Until we meet again at Jesus' feet. God be with you till we meet again. I thought your treasures would make me happy That were the very things that binded me Goodbye, old man You promised you had what would fill me There were the very things that robbed me Leaving my heart completely empty Goodbye, old man Goodbye, old man I hope not to see you again I don't want to be your friend Goodbye, old man
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. You're listening to Faith FM. What heavenly music stills over the sea Entrancing the senses like sweet melody Tis the voice of the angels born soft on the air For me they are singing their welcome I hear of old Jordan here gazing I stand and earnestly longing I stretch forth my hand send a convoy of angels dear Jesus I pray let me join that sweet music come take me away Permit the wild surges I'll brave For that heavenly music hath ravished me so I must join in that chorus I'll go, let me go I must join in that chorus I'll go Let me go What heavenly music stills over the sea 